Please stand for the reading of the scripture. Matthew 5, 1 to 2. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had as it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. Good morning to everyone. It's good to have you here. We're moving today to a new sermon series. We're moving from one mountain, Mount Sinai, to another. You can put up that first slide, Ron. We are up here on the Mount of the Beatitudes looking over the Sea of Galilee. We don't know exactly where Jesus gave this sermon, but somewhere probably around here on the northwest shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. I got to visit it this summer. The area feels quite lush compared to uh, much of Israel and Palestine, and particularly Jordan. It's cooler. You get up in the higher elevations, and it feels cooler, and it's just a lovely place to sit and listen to Jesus teach. At this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been going around this region of Galilee. He's been preaching a message that's pretty simple about a kingdom that's come near. But it sounds like it must be a strange kingdom because the kingdom has no army, the kingdom has no weapons, the kingdom has no fortress. But this Jewish rabbi He's creating a stir because wherever he goes, he heals people. It doesn't seem to matter what illness comes to Jesus. He can handle Caesar's paralysis. He heals it. You can imagine if uh, in East Palestine, word got out that there was a doctor. It didn't matter what was the problem. If you went to her in East Palestine, Palestine, whatever you had was cured. You can imagine that the crowds would start to head that way. So the crowds are starting to follow this preacher slash miracle worker around. But there's another group of people who's also following him called disciples. These are working class folks. These are fishermen. Jesus had come up to them and not by their own merit had invited them to follow him. And they became his students. That's what disciple means. It's a, it's a student. It's a learner. It's, I like the definition of an apprentice. And Jesus takes these disciples and he takes them up on this mountain And he begins to speak, and what he begins to answer the question is, what's next? What's next? After you say yes to following Jesus, what happens next? Our neighborhood community uh, group this year is uh, studying the Sermon on the Mount together, and we are going to go through this book by a guy named Randy Harris called Living Jesus. 
And so I had ordered a bunch of these books from Amazon, used books, uh, so I could give everyone in our community one of them. And so for this stretch of time in our house, almost every day, Alexa would announce, the living Jesus has arrived. <laughs> and Christiana told me when she would hear Alexa say this, she would say, I want the living Jesus to be here. I want to open up that door and standing there on my front porch is the living Jesus. I wish we could bring the living Jesus to preach this series. Wouldn't that be amazing? We don't get that. But we get about as close as we can to hearing the living Jesus preach. We get to gather around Matthew 5-7, through famously known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it's one long, solid teaching block from Jesus. So hearing this sermon preached is about as close as you're going to get to hearing Jesus preach. And in this sermon, we find some of the most well-known sayings in the Bible, the Beatitudes, we'll get to that next week, the Lord's Prayer, the Golden Rule, the command to love one's enemy. And I want you to notice, this is going to be important today, this teaching is directed towards disciples, towards these people who have said yes to Jesus, who have said, I want to follow this guy. Jesus says famously in Mark's gospel, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But what does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? What does it entail to pick up your cross and to follow this guy around? Well, it's here, more than really anywhere else in the gospels, that that is laid out. This is, in some sense, discipleship 101. So if you're currently a disciple of Jesus right now, if you have been baptized and joined this new society your invitation for these next couple of months is to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to his teaching. But this teaching is not just for disciples. If you're not a currently a disciple of Jesus, please know this sermon is for you. Because interestingly, the sermon starts out and it's disciples who are gathered around Jesus, but by the time we get to the end of the sermon, guess who's there? The crowds are there. Can you put up that next slide? Okay, sermon starts, disciples, but here's the very end of the sermon. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So it turns out, people have been eavesdropping on this sermon. Think about this for a second. How great would that be if I got done preaching and it turns out like there's one guy sitting on another guy's shoulder outside eavesdropping on this sermon there's this great scene in Monty Python's The Life of Brian where, where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount and the crowds are way back and they're struggling to hear. What does he say? He said, blessed are the cheesemakers. And the woman says, what's so special about cheesemakers? Well, obviously it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturer of dairy product. So go back and watch the scene on YouTube. It's great. It's, let's be honest, it's pretty unlikely anybody's eavesdropping on this sermon. Unfortunately, when a preacher like me comes out, what tends to happen? People actually want to go away from that preacher. They don't want to eavesdrop, but not when Jesus preaches. Okay? Jesus is not like any other preacher. So even if you don't know very much about Jesus, even less if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, when Jesus preaches, you shut up and listen. Because there's something different about this guy. There's some magnetism to this guy. This guy just draws people in. There are a lot of people, let's just be honest, who want nothing to do with Christians today. And let's also be honest, there's some valid reasons for that. 
But here's what's really amazing. There are people who are completely exasperated with people who claim to be Christian and disciples of Jesus, and Jesus continues to amaze them. Have you noticed that? They, they may not even choose to follow Jesus. I, I'm, I guarantee a lot of this crowd that has gathered around Jesus, after they hear the sermon, they're amazed and they walk away. They don't become Jesus' disciples, but they're amazed. And here's the thing I've also noticed, is that people are particularly amazed by this block of teaching the Sermon on the Mount. There's something about the Sermon on the Mount that is particularly compelling to people, even if they don't profess any faith in Jesus. One of those people that was fascinated by it was Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi said this of the Sermon on the Mount. Christ's Sermon on the Mount fills me with bliss even today. Its sweet verses have even the power to quench my agony of soul. Jesus' sermon, then and now, to those peering on the outside, to those eavesdropping, has this kind of irresistible, compelling, even breathtaking quality to it. Why is that? Why is this vision so compelling that Jesus lays out? Well, imagine with me for a second a community of people who do not abuse each other verbally. Imagine a community without lust and where marriage vows are not violated. Imagine with me a community where people do not retaliate with violence but love their enemies. Imagine with me that rather than amassing more and more wealth, people gladly share their wealth with people in need. Imagine people who rather than see what's wrong with everybody else, are always looking first at themselves and seeing their own brokenness. Can you see why this is a compelling community? Can you see why this is a stunning vision? If you're not a follower of Jesus you are invited to eavesdrop on Jesus because there's something irresistible about it. But here's something else I've noticed. Okay, rarely do I hear non-Christians have lots of problems with the Sermon on the Mount. You may not believe it. I just don't really hear that very much. Strangely, in my time, the people who seem to have the most problem with the Sermon on the Mount are Christians. Walter Kaufman argues that Christianity is simply the ever-renewed effort to get around these sayings without repudiating Jesus. Ouch. Christianity is the ever-constant effort to get around what Jesus is teaching, but we don't want to repudiate Jesus. See, rather than being amazed by Jesus' teachings, if we're totally honest, Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount often make us nervous. Why is that? Because as we listen to the Sermon on the Mount, we begin to ask the question, am I expected to actually do this stuff? Is this even possible? Is this dangerous? John Stott in his book on the Sermon on the Mount says this, in applying this teaching to ourselves, we need to consider that the Bible is a dangerous book to read and that the church is a dangerous society to join. See, what Stott is saying is that when you belong to the company of disciples, you don't belong to the crowd, to the disciples, and serious responsibility has been laid upon you and me. That what we know in our heads has to be translated to what we do in our lives. Have you ever thought about the Bible as a dangerous book to read? Or the church as a dangerous society to join? If somebody would have told me that as a kid, I would have been way more interested in reading the Bible. <laughs> My kids, uh, they like to read, and, and some books they read make me more excited than others, but one book that always makes me excited when I see that one of them is reading is The Dangerous Book for Boys. Anybody know this book? It's a book, uh, it has all these boyhood, or you, for girls too, it's fine, skills such as making 
a paper airplane and building a treehouse and learning to fish and making a bow and arrow and making a go-kart. And I love this book because the book's meant to be read, but it's not meant to be put to the side. It's a book that's meant to be read and then put into action, right? You read the book, and then before you know it, you're out in the backyard, and you're tinkering, and you're building, maybe even putting yourself in a dangerous position, right? See, the Bible is a dangerous book to read because the Bible refuses to allow you to close that book and put it to the side. No, the Bible is constantly asking you to act. The Bible is constantly asking you to put into practice what you have heard. This block of teaching by Jesus is designed to bring you to a fork in the road where there's one way going this way and there's one way going that way, and Jesus wants to ask you, which way are you going to go? Because that's how he ends his sermon. We're going to do something uh, a little unusual. We're going to actually start at the end of Jesus' sermon today, uh, and we're going to do that because I think and others think that this, is, this, this holds the key to unlock the meaning of this sermon. Because Jesus ends his sermon talking about two different types of people. The first type of person hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. And Jesus compares this person to a wise man who built his house on the rock. We know this story. Most of us, the rains come, the streams rise, the winds beat against that house, yet it does not fall because it has a foundation of rock. The second person in Jesus' story also builds a house. But that person didn't put the words into practice, and that person built the house on the sand, and the same rains came, and the same streams rose, and the same winds beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, where Jesus is standing on the Mount of Beatitudes or wherever he preaches this sermon, he would have been able to look out over the sea and see these ravines, these valleys that would have emptied into the Sea of Galilee. And these are known as wadis, and wadis are dry riverbeds. Uh, but in the rainy season, when you get these really hard rains in that part of the country, the ground can't absorb that water. And so what you end up having is these dry riverbeds become rivers. Two houses downstream from a wadi. On a sunny and dry day, they look, they look the same. They both look solid. The structure and quality of the house looks the same because you can't see the foundation. But when the storm hits, it's a stress test. Because when the streams come down and crash against the two houses, now we find out what kind of foundation they're built on. The one on the built on the rock stands, the one on the sandy soil and the wadi, it's a heap on the ground. And what Jesus is saying is that intellectual knowledge about him is not the same as obedience. You can know Jesus teaching backwards and forwards. You can memorize huge blocks of scripture. But if that doesn't translate into doing, it's worthless. Those who, are called, those who accept the call to follow Jesus are called to do what Jesus says. And I was thinking about this into the sermon, and I was thinking, no, nobody, all the preaching seminars I've taken and classes, nobody would ever recommend ending a sermon like this. Fell with a great crash, dropped the mic, walked down the mountain. You can't do that. You're going to bum people out. People have football games to go watch that afternoon. they got lunch to do at Hex. You can't, you can't send people away with fell with a great crash. It's too harsh. Except Jesus ends his sermon that way. Because Jesus wants to force you to make a decision. 
Because there's no third option here. You know, I'm just going to be totally honest about myself. I love to plow a third path. You got this path going this way. You got this path going that way. The foolish and the wise, I want a third path. I want a third path that's kind of like a cafeteria of Jesus' teachings where I can grab this teaching and grab that teaching and then go forward. One of the interesting things about Jesus, and you see this again and again in the Gospels, Jesus is always up front about the cost of, call, of what it means to follow him. Jesus never forces anyone to follow him. Like, he's not like a lot, most kings back then, right? Most kings, you come in, you bring in your kingdom, you force people to follow you, whether they want you or not. Jesus never does that. He always gives you a choice. He always says you can go this way or you can go that way. But Jesus never lowers the bar. Right? Nobody has ever come up to Jesus and said, hey, what, what does it entail to follow you? And they say, well, that's, that sounds difficult. And they walk away, and Jesus comes and renegotiates the terms. Let's think, okay, what's going to work for you here? You will never see Jesus do that. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want us to be fools. Because Jesus wants what's best for us. Jesus knows that if all we do is listen to him and never put into practice what he's teaching us, it's going to be a disaster. Because Jesus wants us to flourish. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he, he tells this story about a community of ducks. Okay, hang with me here. It's, it's Soren Kierkegaard. And Sunday morning, the ducks, they dutifully, uh, they come to church, and they waddle through the doors, and they, they waddle down the aisles, and they, they comfortably squat on the pews. And when the ducks are well settled, the hymns are sung, the duck minister waddles up to the pulpit, and the duck minister opens up the duck Bible, and he reads this. Ducks, you have wings, and with wings you can fly like eagles. You can soar into the sky. Use your wings. It was a marvelous sermon. And the ducks quacked with their scent, with a hearty amen. And then they plopped down from their pews and waddled home. Jesus has no interest in you and I being marveled at his stunning sermon, only to waddle back home to do nothing. Jesus wants us to be hearers of the word so that we can be doers of the word. Jesus wants us to be wise, not foolish. Remember, remember who Jesus is telling this parable to. This is easy to miss. Okay? We find out the crowds are eavesdropping, but who's this being, terrible being, who's this sermon being preached to? It's the followers of Jesus. And what we need to see is Jesus is not contrasting non-believers with believers. I think sometimes we hear that sermon, we think, that end of the sermon, we think, oh, the, the people that aren't Christian, they're the ones that build their house in the sand. And people that are Christians, they're the ones that build their house in the rock. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says there's two types of people. There's, there's the one, they all hear my word. They all profess to understand. There's two types of people. One person puts it into action. That's the person that builds on the rock. There's one person that doesn't do anything. That's the fool. I, I also, I look, notice that Jesus doesn't call the person bad. Jesus doesn't say, you know, that guy that built his house on the sand, he is immoral. He is bad. No, he says he's, he's a fool. Jesus isn't trying to lay down a guilt trip on you. You better be good. You better build your house on the rock. That's not the way Jesus operates. I, I, Jesus does not shame people like that. Jesus ends his sermon in such stark terms because he doesn't want us to be fools. Jesus doesn't want us to spend all our energy and all our time building up a, a structure 
that when the first storm hits, it just crumbles. Because the question, here's the, real, here's the reality. The question is never, are we going to build our lives on something? We are always going to build our lives on something. Okay? That is not the question. And you know what? There are lots of people who have instructions on how to build your life. I've, I just I think about this all the time. Never more in history have you had access to more people who will lay out to you how life should go. You can find them on podcasts. You can find them on the nightly news and programs. You can find them on Twitter. Right? What are you on Twitter? I know most of us are not on Twitter, but you're a follower, right? <laughs> That's discipleship language. You follow people because many of them give you a vision of the way life should be. Often it's a very appealing vision. Usually it's a vision that looks good on the outside, otherwise they wouldn't have followers, but it doesn't have a strong foundation. Okay, the question is never, are we going to be discipled? Never. We are being discipled. The question is always, who will disciple us? Notice how Jesus doesn't say, if you follow, if you're my disciple, you are going to be exempt from storms. I think inherent in this parable is the assumption that storms are going to hit your life. The question is never, are storms going to hit your life? The question is, what happens when the storms hit? Uh, last week, Elizabeth shared a powerful story of her and Joe's journey in seeking to raise a child and eventually to adopt a child. And if you heard that story, you knew there was storm after storm after storm. How did Elizabeth end that sermon? The foundation held. Why did the foundation hold? Because I've chosen to follow Jesus. Just twice within the last three or four weeks, I've talked to two people from our congregation, and I've been just talking to them about storms that have hit their life. Storms that, to be honest, from my perspective, look like too much. And each of them basically said, were it not for Jesus, I would not have stood. How do you build a foundation like that? How do you build a foundation when the storm hits and then another storm hits and then another storm hits that the foundation holds? You put into practice what Jesus says. Can you put up the next slide, Ron? If you're a skier in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, anybody ever skied in Jackson, Wyoming? I've never skied, but I hiked there. And I saw this sign years and years ago, and I love this sign. Okay? This is the sign that greets you when you get to the top of the mountain in Jackson and you're about to ski. If you know the Tetons, they are a precipitous rise. They're unlike any mountains really in the country. Okay, I want to read the sign for you. I love it. Our mountain is nothing like you've skied before. Welcome. It is a huge with variable terrain from groomed slopes to dangerous cliff areas and dangerously variable weather and snow conditions. You must always exercise extreme caution. You could become lost. You could make a mistake and suffer personal injury or death. Please think and be careful. Give this special mountain the respect it demands. I love that sign. Can you imagine, like, <laughs> you've never skied before and you get up and that's, that's what greets you? All right, you're on top of the mountain now. You've come up to the mountain, Mount of Beatitudes. And before we go forward, I want to give you my own warning signs, okay? Because this mountain is unlike any mountain you've ever seen. It is a special mountain that deserves respect. Otherwise, things go bad. Okay, so here's my warnings at the top of the mountain. First warning, first slide. Do not attempt this alone. Do not attempt to do what Jesus is saying alone. One of the things you miss in English when you look back in the Greek is that Jesus is constantly using you plural, right? Jesus is not saying you are the salt of the earth. He's saying y'all are the salt of the earth. 
Christian told me I need to bring back my Texas twang. I don't know if it's there or not, but Jesus isn't saying you don't worry about your life. He's saying y'all don't worry about y'all's life, what y'all will eat or drink or about y'all's bodies. This is not something to be done alone. Okay? I, you cannot do this via podcast. You cannot do this via YouTube. You cannot even do this coming to the pew and downloading some information and going home and working it out by yourself. Jesus never intended his sermon to be treated that way because Jesus is addressing this to y'all. I'm glad our, our neighborhood communities are, are, are going through the Sermon on the Mount because this is really a, a great place to, to wrestle with this, to sit around in a group and say, man, this is, look at these teachings. How do we do this together? How do we put this into practice? The second part of that, that warning is you cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do what Jesus says without being empowered by God and by his grace. This is not a mountain where you say, man, I'm, if I really focus, if I'm self-disciplined, if I've done enough training, I can do this thing. I can do the Sermon on the Mount. No. This mountain is unlike anything you've ever traversed. Approach with caution and humility. If you approach this mountain and the words of Jesus with humility, these words will transform your life. If you approach Jesus' sermon with arrogance and self-righteousness and self-satisfied, these words will crush you. Give the mountain the respect it deserves. Do not attempt this alone. Second warning, you will fail. If we have the courage to climb this mountain, you can guarantee you're going to wipe out Right? If you've ever skied before, there's no way you go up the first time and not wipe out hard again and again and again. That's something I think like the Sermon on the Mount. You go up and you begin to put it into practice and you realize, man, I am constantly wiping out. Ski patrol is constantly having to come over to me and get me off these slopes. That's why when I really studied the Sermon on the Mount deeply and in the exegesis class, what was stunning to me is right in the middle of this sermon is the Lord's Prayer. Meaning right in the middle of this sermon is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus knows we're going to mess up. Jesus knows we're going to fail. Jesus knows that sometimes we're going to end up in the woods in bad places. Jesus knows we're going to wipe out daily. And Jesus knows that we cannot do this without recognizing God's forgiveness and grace. Otherwise, we'll just give up. Last rule. This is not, not last rule, last warning. This is not a list of rules. Okay, if you approach this sermon like a list of rules, if you approach it like these are the ethics, this will not work. You cannot separate this sermon from the preacher. You cannot separate this teaching from the teacher. You do not ascend this mountain only to be handed a, a bunch of rules by Jesus. You know why we go up this mountain? Because that's where Jesus is. Disciples don't go up the mountain so they can get a list of rules. Disciples go up the mountain because that's where Jesus is. That's where, as a later New Testament author, Paul will say, the person who loves you, who gave his life for you, who's for you, that's who's on top of the mountain. you got to get that right. Jesus doesn't want you to just follow rules. Actually, he wants something much more profound and much harder. He wants all of you. He wants you to hold nothing back from him. He wants you to trust that he knows the path to flourishing better than you do. 
We can't just sit around thinking about this stuff. We've got to trust Jesus enough to actually do what he says. And okay, as we go on, as next week, we'll start getting into what that looks like. But here's my task for you this week. It's not really to do anything. It's just to think. You can put up that last slide. And I mean this in all genuineness. I just, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> just ask yourself, am I, am I willing to do what Jesus says? Just reflect on that question. And I, I don't mean that at all in a way to make you feel guilty. I mean to genuinely just think about this week, as we move through the Sermon on the Mount, as I encounter the teachings of Jesus, and as I understand them, am I willing to do what he says? And if the answer is no, here's my advice. Don't feel shame. Don't pretend like the answer is yes. Okay? Don't lie to yourself. Acknowledge the resistance in yourself. Kind of just be real about it. And join the crowd for a bit. Okay? Come out of the circle of disciples and join the crowd for a bit. Because I think Jesus would much rather us be honest and be part of the crowd than to say that we're his disciples and yet refuse to do what he says. Why? Because if we join the crowds there's at least the possibility that we will be stunned again by who this man is and what his vision for the world is. We can be amazed again, and we can stand back and say, I want to give my life to that guy. I want to give my life to that vision of the kingdom. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we ascend this mountain, may we do so with humility May we do this with soberness, but may we also do it, Lord, with joy and expectation of what you have for us. Because, Lord, we trust that you are for us. Lord, help us to put our trust in you. Help us to really believe that you actually know the path to life better than we do. That we trust your deep, deep love from us. You're not giving us a list of rules. You're not shaming us. You're trying to keep us from being fools. You're trying to lead us to the path, the strong foundation, the rock that can handle the storms. Lord, I just pray, Lord, to open our hearts that we would wrestle seriously with this question, are we ready to do what you say, and that we might say yes. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.